Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? All right. Now, I had to work with first service on this, too. I don't know if it's just the holiday weekend. We're feeling relaxed. You know, we got Monday. We're thinking about Monday already, not having to work, most of us, maybe. But now, imagine, no, you don't even have to imagine very hard. You just sang hallelujah, right? About God reigning. And imagine that it's over here on earth. Jesus has come back. We are standing around the throne of God. And the angels go, God is good. And we go, all the time. Is that what you're going to do? You don't want to stand by me because I'm going to yell. So I'm just curious. God is good? And all the time? See, we can't just kick back because we're on earth. We've got to say it louder. We've got to say it from our hearts. And remember that God is good all the time. Now, in spite of what life throws at us, in spite of what Satan tries to throw at us, the people always believe that God is good. Because think of the opposite. If God isn't good all the time, what does that mean? He's got to be bad at least some of the time. Right? Just think about it. God is good all the time, and he showed us that on the cross. He showed that in the life of Jesus Christ, and he shows that to us in his grace in our life. I um, was blessed by the video today and thinking about Memorial Day and the weekend, and I would actually like to pause for a minute before I get into the message for today um, and just to ask uh, us to take some time to pray for the families who have lost loved ones, who have served our country, and to help make it possible for us to enjoy the freedom that we do here. And I would like also for anybody here today who has served or is serving our country at this time, if you would just stand today in, uh, in memorial for these people who have lost their lives as well. And uh, just stay standing, stay standing, if you would. And uh, can you feel the love? <laughs> I want to um, stay standing. I want you to um, stay standing as we pray for those who are currently serving and the families who have lost loved ones. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for the families who have lost loved ones, who have served in the military, that help protect the freedom that we have, the freedom to be able to worship like we do to talk about you like we do, to pray, to say what we think and feel, and to make choices, and to live the dreams that you've called us to live. We are blessed by these people's lives. And Lord, thank you for those who have served, who are here today, and many others. And uh, Lord, we pray for those who continue to serve. We pray that you keep them safe. We pray that, that war would end, although we know that there's gonna be more wars as we get closer to your return. We pray, Lord, that our troops would come back home soon and safely. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. As we think about these soldiers who have lost their lives, death is, is a scary thing. And it can be terrifying. And as human beings, as mortals, it's something that we take very seriously. And uh, some of us here, I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have experienced 
someone close to us dying, whether it's a family member, a spouse, a sibling, or a child, a friend, an acquaintance, um, it affects us all in some way or another. It was uh, about nine years ago when um, a couple of things happened to our daughter that we thought we were going, um, we're scared of losing her. She was uh, nine weeks old, and uh, she developed what's called pertussis, which is a whooping cough, basically, for infants. And uh, she would start coughing and coughing and couldn't start, stop coughing until we would notice that she would turn blue. And uh, this is just kind of a chronic thing, and she ended up in the hospital. She ended up at Children's Hospital down in San Diego for almost two weeks. And uh, we lived there, basically, for a couple of weeks in, in the room. And I remember, I remember leaning over the, the, uh, the crib there that they had. They had these big metal-type cribs. looked more like a cage. Um, and uh, just praying. And, you know, the feeling of a father or a parent of just don't know what's going to happen with our child. Um, I know I heard that from the doctor, uh, from a friend who ended up sharing this with us, that they, they were this close to, to putting her on... Um, what do you call it? I'm not, I can't think of it right now. What was that? Ventilator. Ventilator thank you. Yes. Um, and uh, that's, that's a difficult thing to see with a nine-week-old. Um, but we would pray, and, and I remember just praying, Lord, if possible, please spare her life. But I, I know that you love her more than I could ever love her, and I'm just trusting her life in your hands. And as many of you know, who see my daughter running around on Sabbath, she's alive and well, uh, thank God. Um, but then when she was uh, 13 months old, after a church service, um, she broke into some seizures. And uh, we didn't know what was happening. We just kind of noticed looking into her eyes that there was just this glaze. And <clears throat> so we were just a couple blocks from the hospital uh, at that time, so we rushed into the ER, took her in. They took her in right away, did spinal tap on her, ran some other tests, um, medicated her. And it's just, you know, an awful feeling just looking at your child there on the, the table, um, just getting a sense that they don't know who you are and they don't, they're not responding. Uh, God, I believe, sent an angel and a friend who works for Children's Hospital. They came down to get her, and uh, she showed up, and I was glad that she was serving that day, kind of put me at ease a little bit. And... They took her in an ambulance to Children's Hospital, and we, we followed. They felt like she'd stabilized a little bit, but what we found out from our friend who was in the back of that ambulance with her, because we weren't, was that she had stopped breathing. And they went, she went for quite a long time without taking a breath, and they thought they were going to have to uh, resuscitate her. And just as they were getting ready to do that, she took a breath. And, um, and again, she's alive and well. But she had what some of you may know as febrile seizures, and so we had to keep a close eye on her up through about the age of six, because uh, usually they stop after that. But, um, uh, but it was a situation that, uh, you know, as parents, you just go, God, what's, what's happening uh, with my child here? And um, not much unlike uh, Jairus, who we find today in Matthew and Mark chapter 5, in which he comes to Jesus, and his daughter is dying. Jesus has been casting out demons. He's been calming storms on the lake, on the sea. Um, 
His own family is wondering if he's lost it. Uh, I think it's in chapter 3 of Mark where it says his family was coming because the, the rumor was, was that Jesus had lost his mind. And they were coming to tend to him. And Jesus was showing his authority over the powers of nature, over the demons. And now in verse 21 of chapter 5, he shows that he even has power over death. The things that we fear the most as human beings, he has the power over. And it says in verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers, not just anybody, but one of the synagogue rulers, the one who organized the worship service in the synagogue, the one who was in charge of the board of elders for the synagogue, the one who was in charge of making sure that orthodoxy took place with the Jews, came to this radical rabbi that most synagogues weren't too happy if he showed up on Sabbath. You know, it's kind of one of these places where if Jesus showed up to your synagogue, you went, oh no, what's going to happen today? What's he going to say that's going to contradict what we teach or what we're saying? What's going to happen? Jesus wasn't, he didn't have the reputation of being very orthodox. And here's the man who's in charge, who because his daughter is dying, now finds himself at the feet of Jesus. He came there and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. Now, my NIV doesn't really translate this very well. He begged repetitively. That's what he did. He came to Jesus, and not just once, but several times says, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Please, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. You get the picture? pleading for her life. Now that word healed in the Greek actually means saved. So that she'll be saved and live. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. And so in verse 24, Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now that says it really nice and mildly. When you look at the words in the original text, it means that, have you ever been in a crowd where you had no room? You, you didn't have that personal body space, you know, that you really need? They were pressed against you. Someone's head is right in here. You, it's almost like you can't breathe. All sides around you. It's like, if, if any of you, um, we like to go to Disneyland every once in a while. And uh, never go on holidays. As you probably know, that's not a good idea. But if you've ever been there and seen the fireworks, you know, they're on Main Street, and you're looking up over the castle and you see Tinkerbell flying and you got all these things going on. When it's over, it's mass chaos. But you have no control. <laughs> it's, okay, everybody's now going to head down Main Street to try to get out of the park. And so you're walking down Main Street like this. And you're completely pressed, man. And then you're like, where are my kids? They don't know where. I can't even turn around to look where my kids are. That's what was happening. This crowd was moving and Jesus was there. And they were pressed all against him. They were thronged upon him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
Let me, uh, let me share something with you. I was hoping this would still be here after Sabbath school. Um, William Barclay, who's a commentator, uh, does a lot to give historical backgrounds on things. So if you're interested in on some of the historical backgrounds and some of the Bible passages, he's a, he's a great resource. And he talks about this woman, and it says, The Talmud itself gives no fewer than 11 cures for such a trouble. Some of them are tonics, but some of them are sheer superstitions, like carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in summer, and doing the same thing but with a cotton rag in the winter, or carrying a barley corn which had been found in the dung of a white female donkey. These were things the Talmud suggested doing. These were only a couple of 11 things. No doubt this poor woman had tried even these desperate remedies. The trouble was that not only did this affect a woman's health, it also rendered her continuously unclean and shut her off from the worship of God and the fellowship of her friends. I think these women, this woman had tried these things. This woman had done these strange super... Of course. She had done everything she possibly could to try to get better. For 12 years, she couldn't stop hemorrhaging. She tried everything. She spent all the money she had. And now she came to a point, point of desperation. And she came to find Jesus. And in this crowd of being pressed against, somehow she reached through. She got through and touched Jesus' garment. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind in the crowd and touched his cloak. But she thought, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Again, the word saved. I'll be saved. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, from this plague that she had been feeling and experiencing. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Remember the scene. Everybody's pressing against him. Who touched, not who touched me, but who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? See, Jesus, there's a difference between being bumped into and being touched. Jesus knows. This woman wanted to touch Jesus. She believed that he was the kingdom of God lived out in the flesh before her. She believed that God Almighty was acting through Jesus Christ to bring his favor to humanity. I must touch him. Touch his clothes. Who touched my clothes? And I love the disciples. You know, just common sense guys most of the time. You see the people crowding against you and yet you can ask, who touched me? But gee, I think Jesus is really losing his mind here. A little uh, paranoid, a little, I don't know. Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Imagine that, just looking. Who, who touched me? Who touched me? He stops the crowd. Now, don't forget, Jairus is along with the journey here. Your daughter's dying. You're in this huge traffic jam trying to get to your destination so your daughter will be saved. I don't think Jairus is too happy about stopping. Jesus stops. And Jairus is going, Jesus, come on. My daughter's dying. You want to ask who touched your clothes? And Jesus stops and turns around. 
But Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Somehow in this crowd, Jesus makes eye contact with her. She's been found out. And the crowd parts just enough for Jesus and this woman to have this moment in this conversation. And she falls there at the feet of Jesus. She's like Jairus, who's pleading for his daughter's life. One of the things I love about Jesus is that no matter if you are the big shindig in town or the woman who's been cut off from society, who's unclean, who can't have any relationship with your family, your friends, or anything, Jesus cares about both and everybody in between. And he stops. I think she's a little afraid because now it'll be made clear that she has been unclean. She'll be found out of who she is and what she's done. But Jesus says this to her, daughter, not woman, not lady, but daughter, your faith has saved you. Go into peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, instantly he reclaims her, he redeems her, and says, you are part of the family of God. You are my beloved daughter. Daughter, your trust in me has saved you. Now let's think about that word saved. He's not just talking about physical healing. He's talking about saving her emotionally, relationally, psychologically, spiritually, her whole being, her whole life. We put so much focus on the physical in this life. As human beings, I think especially in North America, we almost worship the physical. Everything is about the physical. Death, living, how we look, how we don't look, what kind of shape we're in, what kind of not. I always like how we say, I've got to get back in shape. Anybody ever say that? How many in here were in shape to begin with? <laughs> I'm just curious. You know, I've been saying that, I've got to get back in shape. I haven't been in shape since I was probably 18 years old, you know, at the oldest. Everything is about, how do I look? Does it make me look fat? <laughs> Come on, guys, you've heard that a few times, right? All right. Does this look funny? Do I, did I look this way? Did I? Jesus sees much more than just the physical. When Jesus creates us as his children, he creates us more than just a physical being. He creates us with emotions, with a mind, with the ability to connect with God and spiritually and with friends. There's so much more to life than just the physical. But we tend to put all the focus on that, and he restores her, he saves her, he, he heals her physical being, but places her back in life. He says, go into peace, go into shalom. And shalom in the Hebrew is this fullness of life, the completeness of life, of living fullness in God. Not just, I'm physically healed. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go into peace now and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter's dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? 
imagine Jairus' heart just dropped. Oh, if this, if this woman hadn't touched Jesus, if Jesus hadn't stopped, we might, we might have made it. But while they were still speaking, Jesus said this. Now, my NIV leaves this word out, but I, a little pop quiz for you. Do any of you remember what one of my favorite theological words, what it is? Somebody said, but. But. The word B-U-T in Scripture is one of my favorite theological words because often it's in the context of this is happening to all of humanity, but God. This is what was happening. It was horrible, but Jesus. And that's what happens here. And that's what the kingdom is about. That's what grace is all about. Why they were still talking, it says, but in the original it says, but ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Jairus, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Keep trusting. Keep trusting that I am who I say I am. And I am doing the work of God here on earth. Don't be afraid. Keep believing. He did not let anyone follow, the text says except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. I hope I'd never get accused of laughing at Jesus. <laughs> That's a pretty serious thing. But take into consideration here, in, in, in Jesus' day, they actually had professional criers. Professional wailers. I mean, they got paid to come in and wail over the body. And this is, and they read scripture. The only scriptures they were allowed to read were Lamentations, Job, and Jeremiah. Now that's really a party gone bad. <laughs> that's a party on the dark side. It's like, not only is the person dead, we're going to just rub it in and rub it in. I mean, can you imagine showing up, you know, for a, for a, a service and all you're hearing is the book of Job, the book of Lamentations, and the whining prophet Jeremiah. Just over. They weren't allowed to read from the law because that was too promising. That was too hopeful. And you go in and they're wailing. They got the flutes in there and they're playing all the, oh, it's, de it's depressing. And they're crying out. And Jesus comes in and says, what's with all the commotion? She's only asleep. And they laughed at him. But we know that death is like sleep. And that the next time the person opens their eyes, it's like they woke up and went, wow, Jesus. And Jesus goes in and he, only, he limits it to the three disciples and Jairus and his wife. And they go into the room where she is. And I love the description here in verse 41. Jesus took her by the hand. He didn't just walk up and put his hands up and go, arise. Jesus goes up takes her by the hand and says to her, little girl, it's time to get up. That's how it says in the original language, just like he's waking someone up from sleep. Little girl, it's time to wake up. I love when I get to go into my kids' rooms when we're on schedule for school mornings or a little ahead of schedule, which is a couple times a year, <laughs> and walk in and they're sound asleep, you know, and as parents, you just like to look and just there's that that beautiful, just peacefulness. Not to say that isn't like that when they're awake, but they're lying there, and, and I love to go up 
and just kind of rub on the forehead, you know. Alana, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. Hey, beautiful, sun's shining, come on. And he slowly wakes up, you know. And with my son, I go in and poke and prod him, you know, and that type of thing. Unlike in the morning from downstairs, guys, get up, we're running late, hurry up, you gotta hurry, go, 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 go. <laughs> and Jesus is in no hurry. He comes and he takes her by the hand and says, little girl, it's time to arise. It's time to wake up. Get up. And she wakes up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. They were amazed. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I always love when Jesus says, don't tell anybody. We just raised her from the dead. You know? It's like nobody's going to see her walking around or anything like that. But you know, Jesus knew. He had a strategy with his kingdom. If he gets too popular too fast, it could stop the flow of the work that has to happen and get to the cross. Just don't tell anybody. People will find out on their own. We've got to make sure we do this right so things don't hinder me from finishing the work the Father gave me to do. Jesus is concerned with saving us. That may or may not mean that we die in this life. His concern is that he saves us. That he brings his saving work in our lives emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, relationally, the whole being. I was talking about this with somebody the other night. And unfortunately... I guess you could say, maybe I've been by the deathbed of people too often. And in those instances, it's always intriguing to me that as someone gets close to the end of their life here and, and experiencing those last stages of death, it's very interesting, almost all the time, there's such a deep peace. There's such a deep peace with God. And I wonder if, and I don't know what your answer would be, but I know what mine would be, would I rather experience the profound presence and peace of God in my inner being, even through physical suffering, or would I rather not have that and not suffer and experience pain and not die? I think I'd rather have the deep peace and the deep personal connection with my Savior. Because if you have that, you can pretty much get through almost everything, if not all. Jesus wants to save us. He wants to make us whole. And we have to remember that, what's that song say? Something like, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. This is, this is not the end of the story. This is part of the story. It's a huge part of the story. But Jesus sees the whole picture. And oftentimes in this life, we look tunnel vision. Today, and that's it. Tomorrow, that's it. What's going to happen next week? I don't know. I'm stressed out about it. Jesus sees it all. And he wants to save us, make us whole, give us the shalom of God that happens through his presence and his grace. And we oftentimes are trying to make it to the next day without getting hurt, injured, suffer, pain, anything. And as some of us know, those of us over 40 at least, that the pain just kind of grows every day, doesn't it? <laughs> just kind of, am I sick or is this just a new pain? I was uh, playing golf one day about 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's something I haven't done in a long time. 
um, mostly because it confronts me with my character issues far too clearly. And so I, um, I, I play once in a while, but not very often. I can't remember the last time I played, actually. But I was about 22. I was at the Hemet Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was the first, my first church assignment. Gone there straight out of La Sierra. I uh, was called to be the youth pastor. And I, uh, I was trying to figure out how youth work in Hemet at that time. Because uh, my understanding, it was kind of the retirement capital of the world. Um, lots of trailer parks. And uh, my tennis partner was 72 years old. Um, and I will say it, humbly as ever, he beat me every time but once. Um, he was great. I was good, but he was, no, he was great. Um, did youth ministry there. But one day I decided to, like, I need to take a day off. I'm going to go play some golf by myself. So I went, and uh, there was a gentleman there, mid-late 70s. And we ended up pairing up together because, you know, you don't want to take up more time for people behind you. And so we started playing, and, and uh, he's there. He's got a stogie, you know, and he says, uh, so what do you do, kid? <laughs> and I always find it interesting when I give him the answer. I say, well, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. He looks at me and goes, really? <laughs> I says, wow. And he talked to me. You know, he wasn't really, he said, the religious type. And, uh, but... I think he decided he was going to have fun that day with a young pastor. Because, you know, when you get out of La Sierra and you're 22, you know everything. You know all the tough answers to all the tough questions, and you can do just about anything. And so he was firing away at me. And he called me everything. You know, well, preacher, well, bishop, well, reverend. You know, he was calling it all. He was, he was having fun with me. And uh, so we're out there playing, and I'm throwing all these answers back at him, thinking I'm answering them really well, you know, and I think he's just laughing, having a good time with me. And at the end of it, you know, we, we were friends and shook hands and said, hey, hopefully we'll see each other again, and yeah, hopefully so. And a couple years, year and a half or so went by, and a lady in our church came up to me and said, I have a friend who's in the hospital. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind going to visit him. He's not a member of the church, but he's dying. And, um, you know, he's asking questions about God. He said, sure, I'd be happy to go over there. And over in Hemet, you know, we, had, we always had several members in the hospital every week. And uh, they just had a clergy list, we called it. You go up to the front desk, can I see the clergy list, please? And, okay, these five rooms, there I go. He's, you go. And I always got a kick out of it because at that time, Hemet had just finished the majority of their building program, a really nice facility. So I would go up and ask for the clergy list, and they see this 22-year-old guy, and they're like, they asked me one time, did they, they gave that to you? <laughs> I said, well, not really, but sometimes I'd mess with them and say yes, and it was fun. Anyways, I go up to this guy's room, and it turns out to be this guy I played golf with. And I walk in the room, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and we played golf a couple years ago. Yeah. How you doing, Rev? <laughs> I'm doing well. What's going on with you? And we talked, and um, there was about a week there in which I would, I'd go visit him every couple of days, and we'd go, and we'd, we'd talk and have God conversations. And I'd like to tell you that I woke up to his bed, and I took his hand, and I said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. But that didn't happen. But I will tell you that during the course of that week, Jesus saved his life. And someday, you'll get to meet him in heaven. And we'll talk about God together and we'll enjoy God's presence together because Jesus made him whole and made it possible for him to enter eternal life with him.
forever, to be made whole forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be saved by you. That by your gracious activity in this world and in our lives, we can be made whole and move towards wholeness. Not just our physical bodies. We know that those are actually decaying in this life. But Lord, in spite of the, the body, our, our minds and our, our hearts, our spiritual hearts, our emotions, our relationships with others can move towards wholeness. We have this deposit in your spirit, Lord, that reminds us that it's about you and your kingdom and about your love for us and becoming whole, this process of salvation. And we look forward to the day when you will come back again. When you will come back, and like in Revelation 21, it says, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, because you will be making all things new again. Thank you, Lord, that you've already started that process in us of the new creation. But someday, Lord, we will never die. I want to encourage you now just to take a minute in silent prayer to talk to Jesus. Maybe let him take your hand and look into his eyes. Let him call you his beloved and talk to you about how he's wanting to continue to grow in saving you and I. Is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder. Cause nothing has the power to say like your name. Jesus, in your name we pray. 
come and fill our hearts today. Lord, give us strength to live for you and glorify your name. Because your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder. Cause nothing has the power to save but your name. Is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder, because nothing has the power to save but your Now this week, as we go forward into a new week, and we go forward in the words of Jesus, when he tells you and I, don't be afraid. Keep believing. Keep trusting. And let him continue to save us.